Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to We Hold These Truths Speaks Out. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a groundbreaking article that Chuck Carlson, the founder of We Hold These Truths, wrote back in October of 2001. And it's entitled Sherry's War. We've entitled it Sherry's Holy War. And we're going to be talking about what's happened in those 18 years is what Chuck had to say back then, uh, 18 years ago, still valid today? Or has it even gotten worse than we can uh, imagine? And so what what uh, we'd like to direct people to uh, our website, We Hold These Truths, and you can actually read the series. There's six parts. We're going to be talking about the first two installments militant anti-Islam and Sherry's Bible. And so back, well, for a little bit of background, Chuck Carlson wrote a groundbreaking article in a national magazine in 1994 entitled Attacking Islam. And uh, with the fall of communism, the United States needed another enemy. And that enemy, of course, has become Islam, and uh, we've been conducting wars against Islamic states since 1991. We we did the first Gulf War there. So you can you can go to the website, look at the uh, read the articles. We actually uh, had uh, printed at the time. Uh, we called our journal "Right to the Point," and you can see uh, it was uh, October 2001 when we uh, first published this. And Chuck will talk a little bit how he met Sherry and the dialogue that continued for quite a, a few months. Uh, and it was quite amazing. So I wanna bring in uh, Chuck and uh, uh, thanks Chuck for, for writing this groundbreaking article. So why don't you give us a little background on the article and uh, We'll also bring in Craig Hansen, who will be uh, dialoguing with Chuck, asking questions. Chuck. Okay, well, the first uh, section of this, the first part one, uh, is a kind of an explanation of uh, Sherry and who Sherry is. And Sherry was a very typical Christian Zionist woman. Uh, very typical in that she was, she and her husband would have been considered to be salt of the earth Christians, active in their church, and in every way, uh, really good people. Uh, Sherry got a hold of uh, an article we wrote uh, earlier on the war in southern Sudan. Most people don't even remember there was a war in southern Sudan, but uh, that war uh, was largely over oil. And uh, it was then played up uh, vastly differently in our press. Sherry got interested in that. And she read someone gave her one of our articles about the war in Sudan and the significance of it. And she ended up contacting us. So we went from there and we got to know her very well. And she was very unusual. Uh, Sherry's war is a case, case history of an otherwise typical Christian family. Uh, it is, we hold these truths, effort to understand how millions of people in thousands of churches who consider themselves devout Christians 
can believe that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy and therefore is holy before God. Uh, they believe this even if it drags us into wars ourselves, where, such as we have been involved in in the Middle East uh, ever since uh, the, the time, the 1990s. Um, Christian believers like Sherry and her husband Lanny consider it a sin before God not to honor and respect Israel's, uh, the state of Israel's citizens, and the sentiment seems to cover all Jews, including atheistic Jews all over the world. Now, our six-part series entitled Sherry's War is our history of what Sherry, uh, as an example of Christian Zionists, believe or or then did believe, and we haven't talked to her for many years, so she don't know what, what she believes today. We would hope that we had had an impact on her and that someplace along the line, she's changed. But we're not sure of that because she hasn't found us and told us she has. And oftentimes people who do change come to us and tell us about it later on. And we do appreciate that. Uh, in it, we will discuss why we tried to convince Sherry and how we tried to convince her otherwise, other than the beliefs that she had. And uh, we went away thinking that we'd failed to do so. Uh, now, it's all, all this all started uh, when uh, Sherry wrote us this letter uh, after reading one of our papers that dealt with the newly discovered and very large, huge, uh, and very valuable oil field in southern Sudan. This was at a time when oil was in short supply. It was before the present uh, oil shale production had gone into effect. Oil was expensive. It was costly at the gas pump. And this discovery was considered very important. And it was coveted by major oil companies all over. Now, uh, Sherry disagreed with what we hold these truths wrote about it. She had strong feelings about Sudan because uh, a church acquaintance of hers called Wes, who had become sort of a mail order cash missionary in Sudan, uh, uh, told her it was all about race. And he told her that the, the white Arabs uh, of Southern Sudan uh, were selling black indigenous Christians for slaves. Sherry believed this, and she saw this war as a continuation of the conflict between Jewish Israelis and Arab Muslims. You see, the common denominator here was uh, the fact that there were Arab Muslims involved both in Israel and in Sudan. So uh, Sherry took that to mean that the Muslims had to be the enemy of the good guys. And uh, this is how uh, we got, this is how we happened to meet. We're telling you all of this because it's very typical to find that Christian Zionists associate anybody who's Muslim with evil. And uh, so they consider them natural enemies. And this, this is taught to them somehow in the process of creating Christian Zionism. Uh, now, one local group um, financed by the oil company uh, wanted to get control of the oil field. The other group were the local indigenous tribesmen who lived there and thought they should be entitled to the oil fields because they were because that it was their home. Uh, Sherry took the side against the Muslims, 
uh, because she believed that they were the natural enemies of the Jews in Israel. Therefore, uh, she could not help but more or less hate them. Sherry's real interest was in Israel and Palestine, though. She stated, I support pro-Israel stance because I believe it is biblical. She said, Israel has been trying to defend itself to keep from being pushed into the, into the sea. So she believed the stories that Israel was the innocent victim of what was going on in Palestine and that they were about to be pushed into the sea and were only trying to defend themselves. Now, a bit about Sherry. She's a loving and caring person. She's very friendly. We, uh, we went places with her. We talked to her. We talked to her husband. We tried to convince them of uh, our views of this, and we talked about the Bible. Uh, she and Lanny were model members of a fast-growing evangelical denomination uh, church, congregation. Uh, she considered herself a born-again mom. Uh, Lanny was a stockbroker. Both considered themselves born again. They seemed to be the salt of Christian earth. Uh, they were uh, sacrificially committed to mission work. They would do anything they could to help people that needed help. They would be the kind of people you could call on. But when it came to Israel, when it came to Muslims, then Sherry's whole picture changed. She could not help believe that Muslims were her enemy wherever they were. And she said that. Uh, the Bible, she said, commanded her to bless Israel at the risk of being cursed by God. Sherry believed that Israel's war on the Palestinians is part of a global conflict between righteous Jews and evil Islam. And she wanted to please God, so she will do whatever she can to bless the state of Israel. Okay, this is the background of our uh, series with, uh, with Sherry that goes on through six editions, and uh, we think you'll find it to be worth reading even though it's almost 20 years old. Maybe that makes it more valuable. Oftentimes this is the case with things that we uh, do because we find out that uh, as time goes along, time proves us to be correct, and we think that's what's happened here. So much for the introduction. Now, Tom and Craig are with us. Uh, Tom, of course, was with We Hold These Truths and with me back there 19 years ago, and he remembers some of this, I'm sure. Uh, Craig was not, but he is an excellent Bible scholar, and so we're going to be depending on him because what we want to talk about tonight, uh, to, in order to help our listeners understand Christian Zionism, we want to talk about Sherry's Bible. We want to talk about what she reads, how she reads it, how she is uh, changed in order to read this the way other people, certain other factions want her to read it, and uh, how she then sees this conflict between Israel and Palestine and on a greater scale between Muslims anywhere and Jewish people anywhere. And anybody who supports Muslims, of course, become, in her mind, an enemy of Jews or enemy of Israel. Uh, so uh, let's start out by asking Craig. Uh, Craig Hansen, uh, a longtime friend and, uh, and, and excellent Bible scholar. Uh, Craig, can you give us some ideas where in the Bible Sherry gets these notions of, uh, of uh, that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy 
and therefore that it must be treated as a holy, a holy entity, a holy place, right? Uh, Chuck, yeah, th thank you. You know, and, and really, thanks for uh, resurrecting this uh, six-part uh, series war article. You know, uh, for an actuality, the Christian Zionist message really hasn't changed through the years, uh, like like you said. And the scriptures they use today are really the same ones that have been used uh, since actually the Schofield Reference Bible uh, came out in 1909. Now, the, the same the same favorite scriptures have uh, been used. But what has changed, however, is the means and the method by which this message is mass communicated to our society and the profound effects that it's really having on uh, so many lives worldwide. Uh, what I'd like to focus on tonight are some of the underlying presuppositions uh, that support this notion of Zionism and the call for Christians to support this secular uh, political agenda. You know, uh, we... Those of us here at uh, We Hold These Truths believe that if you just read the Bible yourself and surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you would never come up with a scheme like Christian Zionism on your own. Well, why? Because to do so, you'd have to throw out so many of the teachings of Jesus that you'd be left with a hollow gospel with no Savior. Uh, and I, I say all that because... Uh, any of us here who have had church experience, we're, we're not coming to this with a blank slate as far as interpreting scripture. Uh, we picked up what we believe along the way in bits and pieces and molded them together in our, into our Christian worldview. The problem comes when the ideas that we have held on to so strongly and for so long and are so very hard to let go of, when we uh, see any of those challenges, uh, then, the, then the conflict arises. Uh, what we've seen in Sherry's response to our articles on Christian Zionism is uh, uh, the whole idea of deception. And this is uh, what's really sad, because the problem with deception is that you don't know that you're deceived. So when you're confronted with something that challenges your preconceived ideas of truth, it, it becomes very unsettling. You know, whether it's for Sherry or uh, for all of us, uh, I, I was a former Christian Zionist, and so I know the first time I heard this, like, well, this may not be Bible. This may not be Jesus. Well, what do you mean? I was, I've been always taught this. This is, I was saved through this kind of message, uh, Hal Lindsey, late great planet Earth, and all that stuff. So I, it, was, it was really unsettling to me. But to come out of deception, you have to look beyond uh, what, uh, what got you there in the first place. So uh, you have to need some standard outside of uh, your own experience. And that's where we come to the, the word of God. Okay, so uh, what are some of Sherry's presuppositions? That is, uh, what, did she, what did she already believe in when discussing the uh, Palestinian-Israeli war? And here's just a few I, I came up with, and I'm sure you guys may have, may have some more. But uh, some of the, the typical uh, Christian Zionist response. Uh, here's one. Today's Jews have a direct lineage to Abraham. Okay, that's that's the whole ethnic lineage thing. Um, another one: God's promises to Abraham, therefore, apply to the modern Jews. So, if the modern Jews are uh, descendants of Abraham, the promises came to Abraham. Therefore, the promises belong to the modern Jews. Uh, Arabs. And I think you, re you refer to that, Chuck. They, they want to push all the Jews into the sea and, and kill, kill all the Jews. And the Arabs uh, just hate, they hate Jews and Christians. 
And yeah, the Bible supports Israel's confiscation of Palestine, all the land, uh, because all the land of uh, Israel and more besides that, that's Eretz Israel, it belongs to the Jewish people that God gave to uh, Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago. And that the Old Testament promises still apply to the Jews today. So what God said to Abraham back then in Genesis chapter 12, uh, it still it still applies today and, and so forth. Uh, just that, that passage of scripture, which comes up so much, uh, Genesis 12, uh, 2 and 3, it says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Again, who is that being said to? It's being said to, you know, Abram. Um, next verse, I will bless those who bless you and and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So again, it's, it's written to a singular person talking about uh, what, what blessing will be if he continues to follow God. But anyway, that's getting off a little bit what I want to talk about. Uh, so the first... The first presupposition, uh, today's Jews have a direct lineage to Abraham. Well, first of all, that's scientifically impossible to prove. Um, just a, a little a little side note on that. Uh, I went to a, a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, uh, years, years ago. Uh, our neighbor's child uh, was going through that. And I asked the rabbi, I said, yeah, is it not true that Jewishness is passed on today through the, the mother, the mother's line. And he goes, yes, that is. And I said, well, is it also not true that in Bible times, the Jewishness was passed along through the father's line, the maternal line? I mean, the, the paternal line, sorry. Uh, and he says, yes. I said, well, where where did that switch you know, take place? And he says, well, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think it took place around the 70 AD when when so many uh, Jewish men were killed fighting the Romans, that to keep the the Jewish uh, line going, they they switched over to the maternal line. So I thought that was very interesting because if you if you take the modern idea of what is Jewishness, ethnically ethnic Jewishness, Jesus wouldn't have been a Jew because you've got Rahab, you've got Ruth, you know, it's all these these Moabites and whatever. In, in Jesus' line, so Jesus wouldn't even been a Jew. So you see that, that this whole um, ethnic uh, back to Abraham, it's really impossible to prove. But anyway, uh, even if it were true, so what? If, if, if we hold the scriptures as our guidebook for life and our relationship with God, uh, they make it very clear that the people of God are not an ethnicity but a people united by faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who is coming again to judge the world in righteousness. And a few of those scriptures come to mind in Matthew 7. Uh, this is John the Baptist. It says, but when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit 
is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, you know, ethnicity is not going to save anybody. Jesus Jesus made that very clear. Uh, in Matthew 21, Jesus is speaking. He said, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. That's that's the, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, all that right there. And given to a people producing its fruit, which kind of goes back to what the passage about John the Baptist. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And going to Matthew 24, Jesus says there, um, I must go on my way today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the passage in Genesis we're talking about, about the blessing and the seed and so forth, if you read Galatians chapter 3, it makes it really clear what that seed is all about, what the fulfillment of that prophecy is to the world. And just to, uh, I'll pull another verse out of Galatians 3. Know, know then that it is those, those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Uh, salvation is faith in God, the same faith that Abraham, and it's for Jew and for Gentiles alike. Uh, Galatians 3.28, again, continuing in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. There we go, raising up out of those stones. You are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. There is no land promise to any ethnicity in the New Testament. Jesus specifically says that his kingdom is not of this world. And the only way into that kingdom is through faith. So, um, that's the whole idea of the, the promise. And you have to see the whole big picture of what God's plan was. He, he raised Abraham up to bring the, uh, the, 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 the lineage, to bring the Messiah into the world, to show uh, what it means to worship the one true God. Israel failed at that many, many times. Finally, Jesus came and, you know, he showed, he showed the way. It was, it was God incarnate to show us how to, how to live. And what did the unbelieving Jews do? They killed him. So 
to say that those unbelieving Jews had a, somehow had a promise to a land that didn't even exist in the New Testament, that, uh, that promise isn't there. So um, that's enough of that one. Uh, one of the other presuppositions is uh, she says, well, I would think that God's promises to Abraham therefore apply to modern Jews. And I've already quoted a couple of passages from Galatians chapter three, and I'd encourage uh, you to read that for yourself and see how those promises to Abraham were fulfilled in Jesus. The presupposition that Sherry and most Christian Zionists have is that they see the Bible as what I call a flat book, meaning they can grab a, a verse here and grab a verse there out of the Old Testament and then grab a, new, a verse out of the New Testament and claim that they're, they're valid. Those, those verses in the Old Testament are valid just as much as verses in the New Testament. Jesus dispelled that myth when he said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, he he raised he raised the standard, and so you you can't just grab verses out of the Old Testament and see and and say, well, that's that still applies today. Um, in our last uh, video episode of We Hold These Truths Speaks Out, I showed uh, how the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was conditional upon obedience, and that the word forever meant as long as the conditions were met. Uh, killing their Messiah was really the death blow to Phariseeism and the, the end of Judaism was really finalized in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. But this is, this is not replacement theology like a lot of people accuse us of because the true people of God, the men and women uh, throughout all generations have been men and women of faith and they are the ones continuing. They are continuing and they, they are and we are the wheat that Jesus referred to uh, those are the ones who embrace faith in the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. Um, another presupposition is Arabs want to push all the Jews into the sea. And interesting is that that quote, I was doing some research, and that came from uh, Ben-Gurion talking about what the Arabs want to do. He wasn't, he, he, he didn't quote any Arab, but that's what he said they wanted to do. So that's where the pushing into the sea first came from. But really, there was a, a bad translation of uh, Mahmud uh, Mahdinejad uh, that said they uh, they want to wipe wipe Israel off the off the map. Well, that was a bad translation, and what uh, Mahdinejad really said it was in a better translation: this occupation regime over Jerusalem must must vanish from the page of time, and it's it's a little bit modified of what the Ayatollah uh, Khomeini had had said. But the idea is that they were, he was speaking out against the Zionist regime. And um, um, I, would, I would encourage anyone interested to learn what Palestine was like before uh, Jewish settler colonialism uh, started. To read a book, it's, it's called 1913, and it was written actually from a pro-Zionist perspective. But it, it shows in that book how Jews, Christians, and Muslims were living together harmoniously. And it wasn't until the Zionist movement and the, the settler colonialism started coming in that all the all the conflict really, really ramped up. So that's uh, that's something to uh, to take a look at. And I was uh, just looking at a, a Kufi uh, website uh, the other day, and they're talking about um, uh, Kufi on campus and trying to show uh, to that uh, supporting Israel is a good thing, and they're they're getting their message out. Uh, to the campus, the, the college students, and they were saying, you know, uh, 
the Arabs just keep refusing peace. It's been offered to them, you know, five times, and they've refused and refused. It's all on them. Well, let's let's look at this. Uh, first of all, the, the the Zionists come in and take all the land, and then they give half of it back, and say, "How about that?" And the Arabs say, "No, you've you've taken it all. We we that's our land." So they say no. Well, then then the Jews come back and say, "Okay, now we'll give you thirty percent of the land." And they say, "No." That's, that's still, it's still our land. And the, so they, they say no. Then they come back, the Zionists come back, they say, well, okay, we'll give you 20% of the land. And so they're saying, the Palestinians are saying no because it is their land. It's not the Zionist settlers. And so that those long-term promises that we talked about before, those <laughs> were based on obedience. You do not see anyone that tries to show me a scripture that says, oh, here's the promise that the Jews have the right to the land and that they come back in 1948. And that's that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Any of those prophecies that I've seen talk about the return from captivity in Babylon has nothing whatsoever to do with the, the, the Jewish nation reforming in 1948. The, it, I, I can't see it. I've, I've studied the scripture. I've read through it. And that's why I say when we at the beginning, if you just take the Bible, read through it yourself, what you see is God raising up a people to bring forth his Messiah. They it's an it's a marriage relationship. They they're adulterers, they go into idolatry, so forth. God woos them back many, many times. Finally, uh they, they come back from Babylon, the Messiah comes forward, they they reject the Messiah, and, and God's done with these this apostate people. Uh, and then from out of the apostate people were the, the true believers, the remnant. There's been a remnant all through history in, that didn't bow down to the idols. That remnant is continued through. So anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting kind of off track there. Um, so that's kind of uh, what, are, what the things that we're looking at there. And I, I don't know if there's any other uh, of those presuppositions you want to talk about. Um, Arabs hate Jews and Christians. Well, that's not true. Uh, they, they hate people that steal land, uh, bulldoze their houses, uh, uproot their orchards. Yeah, that's, that, that is a problem. Uh, and, the, and one of the presuppositions is that the Bible supports Israel's confiscation of Palestinian land. That goes back to the forever promise again. And the forever promise was only as long as there was obedience attached to that relationship with God. So... Um, that's kind of what I what I have, guys. Uh, go ahead and ask any questions you might have. We'll see if we can get anything else there. Craig, uh, just uh, reflecting back a little bit to Genesis twelve three, and uh, the reference uh, to Galatians. I think it was the third yes. chapter of Galatians you referred to. Uh, in the in Genesis twelve three, it says uh, God was talking. Uh, uh, from your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Um, exactly what does from your seed mean? Of course, we know that the Old Testament was written 2,000 years at least, or at least was recited 2,000 years before the New Testament. Uh, and then uh, in the New Testament, Galatians, you read the, 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 the uh, section that said this referred to Jesus, uh, yeah. but uh, uh, in that in that Galatians in the, in the Genesis part, from your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Who does not 
take that to mean Jesus as the blessing of all the families on the earth. As what, well, who, obviously, who, all, who the, besides, all the Jews. Besides Christian Zionists, don't take that yeah, we, as Jesus. Well, yeah, all the Jews see that as that the, they they see the, see themselves as uh, descendants of Abraham, and that's they are the the chosen people. Uh, that's that's how they see themselves, and um, it's it's to me it's really sad that that Christians uh, can't make that distinction. How God did choose a people for Himself to bring the the monotheism, the idea of being a relationship with God of creation. All of that that was that was new to this pagan the pagan society there, and so the the Israelites were to be that blessing to the world to get them away from sacrificing their children and doing all these abominable uh, things. And if uh, a little side note, uh, when they were wandering around in the desert before they went into Canaan, it's uh, the scripture. One scripture says because the sin of the Amorites was not yet complete. They, the Amorites were terrible people, uh, sacrifice, burning their children alive and so forth. That, that sin, there's some, there's some line there that God says, once you cross that, it's over. You know? And I, I just wonder how close we're getting to that line now with sacrificing our own children uh, with the, the, all the abortions and the infanticide with these late-term abortions. You know, at some point, you get to the line where it's, it's, God says no more. So uh, to answer back to your question, that uh, was, the, was the goal and God's purpose for the Israelites to be a light, light to the world and a blessing. And that's Jesus fulfilled that. Uh, thank you, Craig. Um, we'll come back to you in a little bit. Um, we want to go back to Sherry for a minute. Sure. Our typical Christian Zionist so really salt of the earth husband, nicest of people, kind of people you'd like to have for neighbors, and yet they had these estranged beliefs about uh, about uh, about uh, the state of Israel wrapping that up being God's chosen people even today, and this led her into supporting all kinds of criminal activity that that she would never think of doing in her own neighborhood supporting Israel's uh, genocide against the Palestinian people now since 1948. Uh, Sherry would never think of uh, approving of anything like that. She would, uh, she would uh, re resist anything of that kind. As a matter of fact, we never, we never really asked her if she was pro-right, pro-life, anti-abortion, but you can bet she was. You can imagine that she would probably be outraged at the thought of even supporting the idea of abortion upon demand. Uh, it's just not part of the culture of the church she went to. But when it came to the Palestinians and the Israelis, uh, this was a totally different matter. It was that one side was holy and the other side was rebels in violation of God's will. And therefore, they were guilty of all things, and they deserved whatever fate they brought down upon themselves. Sherry excused the total slaughter of the of the of the Arabs in Sudan, uh, which was what we were talking about when we met her. Uh, she approved of the same thing in Palestine, and yet she was the kind of a person you'd want as a neighbor next door. Isn't this? An incredible paradox, what Christian Zionism 
has done to people, uh, that, they, that they can see it one way with one people and uh, the other way with all of their neighbors. Uh, we've all known Christian Zionists like this. Tom is our sound engineer and our video engineer. He's been with us a long time. I think you may have known Sherry. Uh, Tom, can, would you like to add something to what Craig has contributed here? Uh, do you have a comment you'd like to make about uh, Sherry or about somebody you know like Sherry or uh, your own situation or something like that? Uh, we'd well, like to hear from you if you have a comment. Jack, I, I never did meet uh, Sherry, so she was not in my experience, but I've met people that would be clones of Sherry. And uh, it is very difficult to to speak with these uh, these people because these beliefs are held so dearly and it's uh you can, the only way you can engage is to talk about jesus and what did jesus say blessed are the peacemakers for example for they shall be called the sons of god and love your neighbor as yourself these seem to disappear from their thought process when you try to engage them with with thoughts about this so even engaging them you know, biblically, just like what Craig has done here, uh, many times does not get you any anywhere, really. And I think one of our future uh, programs will to be talking with Craig on his journey out of Christian Zionism. I think it's uh, it would be very informative for people to understand what happened to him. There was kind of an aha moment. I won't go into it into detail. And I think people do come out of Christian Zionism, but it's a very difficult uh, situation. We in the United States uh, have really, you look at, we are amusing ourselves to death. It's the title of a book by a sociologist, Neil Postman. And uh, it, we're in the era of, uh, of television and uh, uh, now the smartphones and so forth, and we're constantly being bombarded. In the case of television, we get content with no context, interrupted by commercials to drink beer uh, or take this drug and you'll feel better. You don't have to worry about anything. And then the cycle repeats. So what's happening here in the United States, I think around the world, is that we're losing our capacity to critically think. And you can see this uh, with these TV evangelists. They are basically there to entertain people and to wring money out of them. And so it's become a very big business for these uh, God uh, entrepreneurs uh, to entertain people uh, on on TV, and we see that in our churches. So, it, um, it it's it's a it's a big problem that we as a as a group have been wrestling with for for years. So, uh, I think we're going to be continuing on with some more discussion on this uh, series that you wrote, which is so valuable, Chuck. And thank you so much, Chuck and and Craig for for your work on this. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. We'll look forward to uh, being with you again in the future. Good night.